Hi, everyone. I'm Tom Jenkins, Fire Chief with the City of Rogers, Arkansas, and the IAFC President in 2017 to 2018. And I'm Sheldon Gilbert, former Fire Chief of the Alameda County, California Fire Department, and now a Chief Executive Officer of Emergency Services Consulting International, or as we like to go by, ESCI. And this is the iChiefs Podcast. If you're searching for new ideas, looking to improve your leadership skills, and wanting to make a difference within your organization, this is the podcast for you. We encourage you to join us as we engage with fire service leaders who discuss the challenges and opportunities facing you and your agency. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank Change Healthcare for sponsoring this episode of the iChiefs podcast. Change Healthcare provides EMS billing and coding services, self-pay collection services, accounts receivables management, and offers robust data, analytics, and reporting tools. Please visit changehealthcare.com for more helpful insights on how to maintain revenue stability during these challenging times. And challenging times they are. I'm uh, delighted uh, to be here today to continue our conversation about COVID-19 and the impact that it's having not just on our country and on the safety of our communities, and our economy, but also how it's impacting one of the most crucial elements of the fire service, and that's the volunteer fire service. As many of you may know of the 1.2 million or so firefighters in the country, uh, somewhere above two-thirds of those are volunteers. And in precarious situations like this, I can't think of a more important conversation to be having with stakeholders in this group. Yeah, Tom, I'm, I'm excited to have the conversation today. We have two distinguished guests with us from volunteer organizations, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to introduce uh, Chief Kevin Cooney from the South Windsor, Connecticut Fire Department, and Deputy Chief Edward Rush, who has over 43 years with the Elmsford, New York Volunteer Fire Department. Uh, and Chiefs, we thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to hearing from you and understanding better how the COVID-19 uh, a pandemic has impacted your volunteer departments. We've talked to a number of career departments, and it's going to be great to hear the perspective of where you're coming from uh, with your volunteer departments, both uh, in Connecticut and New York, obviously, were hit very significantly and continue to be impacted by this pandemic. So um, we'll start with, uh, with Chief Cooney. What were some of the operational and staffing challenges from, from your department's perspective uh, relating to the impacts of COVID-19 and how this has uh, moved along as, a, as, as this pandemic has went, uh, increased and, and then begins to level out. Good afternoon, and thank you. Um, yes, the, the first challenge we had was uh, we set up limitations just to sort of abide by the recommendations from not only the, this organization and other organizations and the CDC. So right off the bat, we decided to implement a temporary policy in how we operated. And then the, the big challenge was how do we get that policy out because we were limiting our training sessions, we were limiting group sessions, any kind of large groups. Uh, with those limitations, how do you get the information out to each member when it comes to operations? That was our first major challenge when all this started. Fortunately, we have a department email system, and we subscribe to online services for training, so we're able to get that policy out through the online services so we had accountability as to which members actually understood the policy and, and had a way of us as a department leadership to make sure that the members um, could document that. 
Um, and that's ever-changing, as we know, for the last month and a half. We've updated that temporary policy four times so far. And each time we had to make sure the members understood those changes in the policy and how we operated. Um, we're a fairly um, fortunate volunteer department. We have over 100 members. And we didn't want 100 members showing up for the normal routine calls. We, we almost wanted to try and practice the social distancing as well as still maintaining our mission that we have as a volunteer fire department to protect the community. So it was a challenge to pick a number of how many people we wanted to um, respond and limit that. Um, with everybody being recommended to come home and stay home, it helped uh, as a volunteer, but members are still working from home, so that doesn't mean that they're now available 24-7. So we established duty crews and tried doing it that way so we have some limitations uh, for the routine, obviously we know there's no routine calls, but for the everyday calls, um, we limited that. And then we went on to open it up if we have any kind of major incidents. Um, so that was the first challenge was policies and how to get that information out, make sure the members had it so we could account for them um, to make sure they understood the changes as, as we've changed it over the course of this time. Um, and that was a, really the first big operational challenge we had. Well, those are some, some practical and, and innovative ways to, to communicate, which I think would be the number one priority during this type of a large-scale national disaster. Um, Chief Rush, what about in Elmsford? How, how, have, how have you guys seen impacts and changes to your operational and staffing, um, and has there been some unique challenges? Yeah, it's been very challenging. You know, we're a, um, a little bit smaller department than Kevin's, um, and uh, staffing has been our biggest concern. Um, We've lost a couple of members uh, that basically hit, you know, some key members. As, as most of you know, a lot of the uh, smaller departments, there's there's a core group of members that you sort of rely on. That you know, they're there for pretty much everything, and then you have you know some other members that you know they'll come out for the big ones. Um, and we we had a couple of our core members who are a little bit older, as we all know, the you know the volunteer fire service is aging, um, and maybe had some health you know, issues where they felt like they were at risk and they basically notified leadership that, you know, in, until this uh, pandemic, you know, calms down a little bit, they're going to have to stop responding. So we had some big concerns about being able to, um, you know, have enough responders on a daily basis. Um, you know, so we, we were very, very concerned about contingency plans. Luckily, we've been okay. We haven't had to put any in. We also were concerned that if, you know, if we lost a few more members that maybe tested positive, um, we would have some real issues with literally being able to get the apparatus out the door. So we have some contingency plans in place um, with, you know, that involve uh, mutual aid, that involve some automatic aid agreements. We're very lucky in that we're, we have a couple of um, career and combination departments in our area around us that, you know, we've had some conversations with that if things really got bad to the point where, you know, through illness or whatever reason, we just lost so many volunteers that we just had trouble getting apparatus out the door. We, you know, we could at least rely on some of those departments a little bit. Um, we also do um, EMS We're we're the EMS transport agency for our small village. You know, we're a village of about, uh, it's a one square mile village with about 5,000 people. And, you know, we, we do EMS, which is obviously a much bigger concern. We lost a few key EMS providers. So we actually put into place a stipend uh, situation um, where, you know, we're, we're actually paying a driver and an EMT a stipend to be available 
and then they get another small stipend for each EMS call they go on um, so that at least it relieves the burden of knowing that, you know, we're, we're going to be able to handle the, um, the EMS calls. You know, the volume has gone down a little bit, but the COVID calls have gone up dramatically. And as we all know, they create, um, you know, a much longer call with all of the PPE you got to put on, the, the precautions you have to take, the decon afterwards. Um, so that was a big issue for us. And, and you know, we're kind of working through on the fly how that's all going to work legally and, you know, being able to do the reimbursements and then hopefully being able to get reimbursed from FEMA uh, for, you know, for the expenses that we're incurring. But, you know, so far, you know, knock on wood, with, with, with the, what we've put in place, uh, you know, we're, we're doing okay. Chief Rush, I think that you've hit on something that's really critical, and that's that, you know, we have the, the disaster, right, the crisis of today, but it's really the impact on budget and fundraising that I think has a lot of people nervous because the, you know, the, the volunteer fire service is certainly not a, you know, a lucrative, um, you know, entity in many locations. What, what, can you expand a little bit on, on what you all might be forecasting about budgetary impact or what, how that, you know, I know, I don't know enough about uh, Elmsford and what they do for fundraising, but uh, has it, had, have you seen any impact at all or do you forecast some coming to your department? Well, we're we're very lucky. We're a municipal department, uh, so we're funded by the village. Um, I also happen to sit on the village board, so I I, I work on the budget also. Um, and you know, there there's some concerns from the village standpoint about you know having to do overall budget cuts uh, across the line in the village. So there will be some impact on the funding going forward. But our particular department, we're not. We don't see that as a major concern right now because we do have the funding from the village. We understand that there are a lot of volunteer departments that don't have that luxury, and they rely on the chicken dinners, the breakfasts, the bingo games, you know, all of the things that bring in the the fundraising that they need to put fuel in the rigs and buy turnout gear. And that fundraising is going to dry up. Um, And, you know, that is a huge concern that a lot of departments are having, and I know it's creating a lot of anxiety. Um, the, you know, the one thing that we can hope for is the uh, that the government, the federal government, is going to be able to come through through the, um, you know, the various, the AFG and, and some of the other grant programs, um, which we, you know, as we've seen, the IFC has been putting out some, uh, you know, the, the president just put out a message about trying to contact all of our uh, I don't stealing somebody's thunder that may come up later, but um, you know the president's put out his his uh, notices about we need to get to our federal legislators about dramatically increasing the funding because the fundraising is going to dry up. It, it's a source that we can't make up with, like I say, with the chicken dinners and all that. Um, so we're going to have to rely on the federal government to keep some of these smaller volunteer departments, you know, afloat. Well, that makes sense, Kevin. How you know? How about your department, South Windsor? Um, you know, how is its funding, and what are they forecasting the impact of of COVID nineteen being in the long term on uh, the financial situation there? Yeah. Well, thank you. Like Chief Rush in New York, um, we're very fortunate. We're a uh, fairly large volunteer fire department, fully supported by the community, um, by a tax base, uh, and we do not provide EMS. So. We have not had any major budgetary issues at this point. Um, 
even the the lack of some of the PPE that we initially started off with and had to uh, get, um, that was mostly done through donations or through the community, uh, through our town. So even those expenses and the additional cleaning and disinfecting expenses have been fairly minimal in the in the overall budget. Um, one of the challenges we came up with in our community um, was the the town that we, we live in has a number of town employees, and they decided to institute through the town council what they call hazard pay for the town employees. They left off the police department, which is a normal uh, medium-sized police department, and the volunteer fire department. They left them off of this um, hazard pay resolution that they were proposing. That raised a number of eyebrows um, as to why we were left off, and then how do we go about doing that if they wanted to include us. So I was challenged with the town manager to come up with a plan to address hazard pay for a volunteer fire department. And that was a very challenging thing for me, and that's part of why I think um, I sort of got involved in this, because I did reach out to a number of my peers and leaders that I have a lot of faith in to ask for help if somebody's already done this or not. And there's surveys that are out there now. There's different organizations that have started this. Um, but when you come into hazard pay, how does that work for a volunteer department? Because we're already limiting our membership as to what calls they can go to. And even when they do sign up for these duty crews, they're doing it from home. But if there's no calls during that time, they're not eligible to be receiving this hazard pay as such. So it was a very challenging time for us to come up with that. And we're actually still in the middle of it. I had to draft up something to the town to suggest how we do hazard pay for a volunteer fire department. And that's on the um, chopping block for this upcoming Monday night to see if that passes or not. But when I did all the research from all the different national levels, and that's one of the reasons they left us off, they felt like there was national legislation being proposed that may cover police and fire. Um, but on the same token, we weren't looking for this. This is not something that we generated. Um, a lot of us have mixed feelings about hazard pay. Um, and But because every town employee was receiving some type of hazard pay, it only seemed fair to include the actual first responders in this process. So we have a draft out there now to include our, our volunteer fire department in a hazard pay. Um, that's going to be paid for by the community with their intention of hoping to get reimbursed by FEMA. Um, but that's all subject to, to be approved and see if it happens or not. But from a daily operational budget standpoint, thankfully, we're very blessed and haven't had any of those day-to-day um, -day issues that I'm assuming many, many other volunteer fire departments have to face with, as Chief Rush alluded to. Chief Cooney, that's an interesting perspective, and that's a very unique um, thing that has been done by your by your uh, community to to support the response activities of your of your department. Uh, and it's a good segue into the next thing I wanted to ask you both, and that is, um, as we travel the nation and do consulting and talk to a lot of volunteer and or combination departments, we we hear a lot about recruitment and retention, and there's a lot of reasons why that has gotten more difficult in this day and age, and it ranges from just volunteerism is on the decline nationwide to people not working in town to the the regulatory and statutory training mandates and hours it takes to stay current are just too too extensive. Um, so I think absent the pandemic, uh, a lot of departments and a lot of communities are dealing with recruitment and retention issues for volunteer firefighters. Uh, so one, are you experiencing that? And two, how has the pandemic impacted that um, for the worse or for the better? Perhaps people are stepping up and wanting to be a part of the solution, but um, I'd, like to, I'd like to hear from your perspective how this is impacting recruitment and retention. And uh, we'll start with, uh, with Chief Rush. 
Yeah, I think that um, it's right now, I think it's kind of early um, to really see what kind of an effect. I sort of have mixed feelings on it. I, I see this as sort of a double-edged sword. I think that the downside is there's a lot of people that, you know, where they may have thought about it, they may have uh, said, yeah, you know, maybe I'll be, you know, a volunteer. But now they see the dangers. They, they see the, uh, you know, people, first responders that are dying from COVID-19. And it's going to turn some people off. Um, but the other side of the coin is, you know, I think it's kind of similar to after 9-11 where people are realizing what, you know, the, the police, fire, EMS that were on the front lines. And, you know, we're, we're sort of being looked at as heroes again. Um, and, you know, that may – it's giving us a lot of good publicity, and, it, and it's a, an opportunity to – uh, to kind of jump on that and and possibly utilize that to get some um, you know some new members and some of the other things that we're doing I know a lot of uh, my department and some of the other departments are doing some things like doing little birthday parades you know you get some apparatus and you go by somebody's house when the kids have the birthday like every Saturday we've been doing like six or seven stops um, you know everybody's in the apparatus like you know sirens going you stop by the house. You know, you leave a little uh, bag on the front porch, um, you know, for the proper social distancing with the coloring books and, a, you know, plastic fire hat. It's great publicity for the department, and we could utilize some of that as, you know, the positive publicity to possibly bring in some new members. You know, the the other one of the negatives as far as recruit as retention as well as recruiting is that, you know, as we all know, the the volunteer fire service, one of the big draws of the volunteer fire service is the camaraderie, uh, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, right. the, the, you know, you have the dinners, you have the parties, you have a lot of things that allow everybody to, to sort of become one as a, a family, if you will. That's going to be increasingly difficult to do. Um, and there's got to be a way that we find to, replace that whether it's doing you know some virtual parties whether it's doing some online stuff doing smaller gatherings but that's a, a very very key element of the volunteer fire service you know we've always sort of been the the center of uh you know the social center of the town if you will especially in the smaller villages um so that's something that we're going to have to work on like i say with possibly some you know online stuff, some virtual stuff, some, some smaller groups, because uh, that's where, where I think our recruiting and retention is going to be hurt more. Yeah, those great points and an interesting perspective. That's great. It offers some opportunities and some risks. Um, Chief Cooney, how about you with your larger organization? How, how has it or do you think it could potentially impact you for the better or for uh, making recruitment more difficult? Um. I'm sort of going to echo a lot of what Chief Russia said. Um, first of all, a little bit too early to tell, um, but I think what we've noticed so far is we've done a lot of things to sort of show that we're still out there. Uh, social media has been big for us, and we're using it a lot to get the word out. Uh, we're doing some of the parades as Chief Rush is doing as well. I didn't think about the actual gimme bags, but that's a great idea, so um, uh, thank you for that. But uh, we're doing a lot of those things. But what we found is we've actually had a few members apply during this time, and that intake process has been delayed or, or stifled a little bit because of everything going on with the COVID. For example, our medical facility that we use for our 1582 physicals uh, is no longer doing pulmonary 
uh, function test during this time. So to take somebody on and send them for their normal uh, NFPA 15A2 physical um, is a challenge because our facility is not offering that right now. Um, and then the process of going through the initial training and getting them um, at least up to do minimum stuff has been challenging because we're limiting how many people can be in the stations and, and how we do that. So we've had a few that actually applied during this time, whether it's for those reasons that the Chief Rush already identified as the people wanting to get out and volunteer because of all this, but it sort of uh, hindered us a little bit too. So we're working our, our the best way we can because, as most of you know, when somebody first applies, that's when you want to grab them. And if there's any kind of delay or, or pushback or anything else, they may, you know, very often go somewhere else. You don't want to lose somebody in that initial um, interest phase. So we, we're doing our best to accommodate those people um, the best we can with those limitations that we have set forward. Um, so that's an early on stage that we're dealing with, um, but we are trying to maintain what we're doing. Um, not that we want fires to occur, because obviously we're trying to prevent fires, but as most of you know, that when there is a fire, that brings that brotherhood out, and it brings the, the drama goes to a low level, and everybody's working together. And we recently had a fairly large fire that helped bring everybody together and um, got rec recognition from that through all the media outlets. And I think there's a, a push to recognize the fire department and honor the fire department. And through some of that, it's been through... Um, keep recruiting some new members as well as retaining some of our current members that, you know, maybe are, are questioning everything. But I'm proud to say that out of our over 100 members, not one member has faulted on his dedication or her dedication to the department in, through this whole COVID pandemic. Um, you know, you never know if you're going to lose somebody, whether it's an elder member or whether it's um, just somebody who's fearful or maybe their their families are fearful of them with what they're doing. So it's not just an individual's concern, it's the family's concern. Um, you know, we're not the, like a career department, we're not the breadwinners per se, that you have to go do this. As volunteers, your family's pressure of saying, why are you still doing this during this horrific time is a challenge to keep the current members active. And um, I would imagine that's an issue across the boards, but fortunately we haven't seen it yet. Well, I think that's fantastic information from both of you. And one of the things that we always try to do with these podcasts is to give our listeners who are often fire chiefs and are always fire service leaders, we'd like to give them some information, some, you know, some nuggets uh, that they can go to their own jurisdictions, their own departments, and, and learn from what you all have been through. And it sounds like, you know, you, you all definitely have a lot of lessons learned that are important to share already. So, you know, Chief Cooney, I'll start with you. Just what, you know, quickly, what are some, you know, some quick takeaways that if you could advise, you know, as, as you know, the elements of the pandemic are likely to affect us for a while in different ways in different areas, what are some pieces of information, some lessons learned that you might share with other volunteer fire service leaders that you've experienced over the last few months? Sure, thank you. Um, the first point, I think, is communications. You've got to have a great communications amongst your leadership team to get people involved, because if you think you can do this or make decisions on your own during this pandemic, uh, I think you're wrong. Um, so I, as the chief, have gathered my staff together and you know, we're all looking at all the different resources out there trying to make the right decisions going forward. So internal communications amongst your immediate staff is critical. And then how do you share that information with your membership so that nobody's left out? 
think communications is critical, especially if you're changing operations. Um, but they all want to be involved. So some of that um, social stuff that we're doing with the parades is getting people back involved, so at least they're doing something, even though we've limited them. But more than the social stuff is training. Um, we did initially put a stop to training and very much limited that to almost none. And now we're, we're, we're exercising and modifying that a little bit where the company officers can work with no more than five members at a time to at least um, get some of that skill set back up because if you don't do something, some of those skill sets go away. And if you're not doing any kind of training for a period of a month or two months, um, that could be detrimental to a department. So we're now modifying our training to allow more members to get involved in small groups to keep keep in, keep up with their skills, uh, get the apparatus running, get the uh, keep all the nuggets going. Um, those are the two big takeaways I feel is communications and and allow some type of training with the limitations that we have to work with. Those are all great points, Chief Rush. Um, same question. What are some lessons learned out of your and your experience um, there in Elmsford? Uh, that you might share um, across the country's fire service, especially for volunteers? Well, I think there's two things I wanted to focus on. One is is um, you, we really need to um, keep an eye on and be concerned about our people more than normal. Um, you know, we all know that, uh, you know, as uh, you know, the VCOS has the you know the, the yellow ribbon report that we put out a while ago about you know under the helmet worrying about the you know the mental health and well-being of our first responders. This time, you know, this COVID time, even more so. There's a lot of fear out there. There's a lot, you know, a lot of um, I don't want to say misinformation, but you know, uncertainty. Um, so I think it's important that the leadership check in on their membership periodically because. You're not seeing them. You know, you don't have that, that weekly drill. You don't have, you know, a lot of people coming out for calls. So you're not necessarily getting the opportunity to look them in the eye and, you know, say, hey, is everything all right? You're not going to see the, the problems that are occurring, uh, you know, who's, who's maybe not showing up at all because they're, they're really afraid. And, you know, it's, it's okay to, to be afraid during this. I mean, we all are. Um, this is uncharted territory we're in. And, and you know, one of my, my favorite sayings, I've heard attributed to John Wayne and, you know, a few other people too, it's, you know, in defining, you know, courage. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's being afraid but saddling up anyway. And, you know, we have to go out and we still have to deal with this. The public is, is relying on us. But, you know, we need to make sure that our people are, are okay. Um, and, you know, and maintain that, that communication that, you know, the Chief Cooney said. The other thing is that we, we as leaders need to understand we're not in this alone, and we don't have to come up with all the solutions on our own. You know, we have organizations like the IFC that, you know, have some incredible leaders that are doing a lot of this work. Utilize it. You know, look, go to the websites, you know, see what your neighbors are doing. You know, steal ideas. Uh, you know, we're great in the fire service about, you know, doing what the neighbor is doing and, you know, stealing PowerPoints. Doing it. This is the time to do that. Figure out what everybody else is doing. And, you know, when they're going into the uncharted territory, you know, sometimes we follow them, sometimes we take a little different path. But we need to communicate with each other, you know, see what everybody else is doing, see what works, what doesn't work, and, and, and also be willing to change on the fly. 
um, you know, if, if we start down one path and we realize, you know what, there's a problem with that. This isn't working. Switch gears. It's okay to say, you know what, I made a bad decision. Let, let's let's do this a little differently. But I, I think those are the two biggest things that I would look at. Well, I think that's fantastic add, feedback. Uh, if I could just add one thing, the chief uh, talked about it with the checking on each other. One of the other things I think is critical is the um, reassurance of the members that we have their back. Um, this is a different topic. We've never dealt with it. It's not like a normal injury or a line of duty injury or line of duty death. So how is that? How are we able to protect the members and give their family the reassurance that we're there for them? So one of the takeaways I've learned is the documentation is critical. Um, every incident, every exposure, is, is the documentation is critical um, in that whether it's through your own local insurance companies or, God forbid, and I don't want to sound morbid, but if it turns into a line of duty death, I know the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation has spent a great deal of time, along with other organizations, working with the uh, federal legislation and the PSOB benefits to include these COVID-related cases. Um, and it, it, as morbid as it sounds, it gives the members a little bit of a reassurance that both insurance-wise and in the ultimate sacrifice, they're, we're there for them, we're, we're providing those reassurances, and that networking, we're making sure that we're not missing anything to provide as many resources, whether it be mental health resources or um, insurance benefits or whatever it is to, for those members to still continue to operate during this time. I think that reassurance is critical. No, you're right, Kevin. And I, uh, I appreciate both of you. You've been listening uh, to Chief Kevin Cooney of the South Windsor, Connecticut Fire Department and uh, Chief Ed Rush of the Elmsford, New York Volunteer Fire Department, both uh, seasoned veterans of the business, well-respected, uh, shared their viewpoints on COVID-19 and its impact on the volunteer fire service. We encourage you to always use the resources that the International Association of Fire Chiefs makes available for its members. And you can find those as they relate to COVID-19 easily by going to the website iafc.org slash COVID-19, where you'll find a plethora of information and answers to many of the questions that uh, you'll encounter in leading these emergency services organizations. And again, thanks to Change Healthcare for sponsoring this episode of the iChiefs podcast. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for this iChiefs podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or Spotify, where you can subscribe and be sure to never miss a show. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next month.